Welcome back to the Effort of Everything podcast. I'm your host, Jason Kalipa, and on today's episode, I sit down with the founder of Wit Fitness, Dan Williams. Wit is one of the largest retailers for functional fitness gear on the planet. Dan goes into how he started off as a door-to-door salesman, got into opening up a commercial cleaning company, and then finally founded Wit. We talk about the struggles of COVID, how to grow a team, foster culture, and what the plans are for the future of WIT. I really enjoy this episode for anybody who's been rocking their stuff or maybe interested in the business case. This is an awesome one to listen to. Before we get into it, simple ask, simple reminder. Leave us a rating, leave us a review. Whether you're listening to this on Spotify, Apple, or YouTube, wherever, would really appreciate a rating, a review, helps the podcast out, and that would be greatly uh, appreciated. So without any further ado, Let's dive into an incredible episode about wit fitness, the background, the struggles, and the story. Let's go. All right, Dan. So here you are in California. You just flew in, what, yesterday or the day before from the UK? That's right, yeah. How do you like California so far? It's great, although I was expecting good weather yeah <laughs> it, no the weather's lovely but i was expecting sunshine like i was here in november it's 25 degrees yeah and i'm here with a t-shirt and only a t-shirt and it's too cold so you've been uh you got in a couple of workouts right feeling good yeah uh, we had some breakfast at one of my favorite spots and now we get to talk a l- little bit about whatever it takes how it got started and um the business of it you know so you're co-founder yeah of wit and wit when let's Let's kind of back up a little bit. So WIT is, um, what's the best way to describe WIT and what it does today? If I, if I really simplify WIT, it's effectively a sports retailer, a sports marketplace for footwear and training apparel. But that is oversimplifying it. So well, firstly, we, we focus entirely on fitness and training. So only fitness and training, footwear, apparel and accessories. So we don't look at running, we don't look at basketball, we don't do anything outside fitness and training. That that is our that is our ballpark, um, and we we work very closely with major athletic brands such as Nike, Under Armour, and Reebok, where we do collaborations on shoes, on footwear and apparel, which is obviously quite rare and exclusive. Yep. And then we've also got our own brand, which we launched about eighteen months ago. So we've got our own apparel and clothing range um, that that we distribute, and we're in a, we're in a really good position at Wit where. In the UK and Europe, we get a lot of product from young and up-and-coming brands, especially from the US, who know that no one else has. Yeah, yeah. So it puts us in a really good position in the market. So the, the consumer in the UK and Europe wants to gain access to the brands they haven't previously been able to, and we act as a distribution channel for US brands, and and vice versa. In the US, you know, we're bringing product that this consumer perhaps uh, hasn't access to, hasn't had access to either. I love it. And then you guys have a gym in in UK. Yeah. So we, we've built our model around bricks and mortar. So when we started the business, we started, we had a website, obviously, from day one. We wanted digital to lead, but we also wanted to sit alongside bricks and mortar. Reason being that I, I did CrossFit and I, I saw that the, the, the fashion, the fashionable aspect of CrossFit was built on the community aspect of CrossFit. So if Jason Kalipa, the coach or owner, was wearing X shoes or, or, or apparel, the, the members would wear it and then new members would wear it. And I knew if we could foster a community around a physical site, whether that's retail and now a gym, then it would stand the business in good stead. And I think and now we've got this amazing facility in London where we can host events, athlete appearances, product launches, 
and then day to day it's a gym as well so it's, we've got our own community but we've also got this platform to do really cool stuff which you know you in california can see it on social media and everyone thinks you know wit that's a cool place with that amazing facility in london so that bricks and mortar community aspect like we actually genuinely understand it i think it's an overused word right community yeah yeah whereas we have actually forged our own community uh you know through our training space and we're also like building that globally so going back um you know you shared what wit is i think the name is by the way i, I love the name but let's let's talk about you know dan williams so how did you get into entrepreneurship building the business what was your background before you started with a co-founder uh wit how, how did it all take place right yeah so I um, was a uh, at university and after university I wanted to be a runner, so I was um, I was a, I was trying to make it as a track athlete. Um, and what was your what was your distance? Four hundred meters. Um, but then you know I got to the point there where I was fed up with kind of being that mediocre athlete and I wanted to earn money. Right, I wanted to earn my own money. And my my dad who was an entrepreneur and I I th- I always thought I'd go down that route rather than traditional job. Uh, and I I, f- I started in, and owned a cleaning business. A cleaning business. Yeah, Before we talk about the cleaning business, what was your best 400 meter time? So I was in the low 48s, <laughs> which was like, you know, it sounds really quick to, to, to fitness consumers, but it's really not like in the grand scheme of things. But I was young, you know, late teenager, early 20s. Um, and there was a realization that I wasn't going to make it. Right. Uh, and I enjoyed life as well. I wasn't, you know, all in there. And, and so talk to me about the cleaning business. What was that? So um, it was a... It was a kind of an easy route to build a business. So it was a business without, you didn't need a skill set to do it. Um, and I worked in restaurants and bars at university and there was just an opportunity there to, to, to launch a commercial cleaning company. And after seven years, we were reasonably big, well, not in the grand scheme of things, but a well-sized business, like a commercial cleaning company. And we were lucky enough to get um, purchased by a larger company who franchises out. Not a massive amount of money, um, but it was, an, it was a business that I hardly enjoyed, right? It was just an avenue to, for me to learn, to start a business, to learn as an entrepreneur uh, and like develop something. So when the opportunity to sell came along, it, you know, we were very much... Um, so that was a clean... So explain to me, how did the cleaning business work? You would go in at night and, and, and clean these Yeah, locations? so we, our team would clean bars, restaurants, offices out of hours. Oh, dude. I bet you the like bars rough, got really bad. Really rough. So, and, and you know, when you're really a small <laughs> company... Yes, I wasn't doing the cleaning, but it's twenty four seven, seven days a week, three hundred sixty five days a year. You're, 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 and it's just, it's just too much. So like, you did that seven years out of school, yeah, or so even in university, because so seven, college. seven years out of school. So um, that was till my late twenties. Uh, I did that to, through to my late twenties. Um, and did you have a partner in that too? No. So you you started off uh, the cleaning business. You grew it. You eventually sold it. Yeah, man, that must have been a grind, though. I could just imagine. It, like it, it was a grind, but it, it, that was why it was so good because it learned me. It, it taught me to graft. Like really, that that is hard work. Like if it, you know, at wit, you know, when we started the business, you know, you're working as you know, you're working twelve, fourteen hour days, but not like a cleaning company. <laughs> Like that yeah. is a graft because like, oh, the hours were crazy, right? Yeah, the hours are crazy because, yeah, because you have to clean when they're closed. Yeah, so the, ultimately, you're, it, yeah, it's night. It's a, You're doing it by in the darkness. So, Wow. Um, and so, you know, you decide to kind of pivot out of that. And then what was the next step? So it's, it's, it, it sounds like a not a seamless transition to whip, but effectively I did CrossFit. 
Um, so while you had the, the so um, I, st- I started CrossFit towards the end of the cleaning business. Um, in that there's that there was that hiatus a few years between me not running and um, like anyone else who's done a previous sport, stumbled across functional fitness CrossFit. You thought, oh yes, this is what I've been looking for for the last three to four years, um, and I immediately noticed that. Everyone's wearing the same shoes. Everyone wears the same clothing. By the way, shoes and clothing that I'd never seen before. It was very cultish. Uh, wh- what year was this that you guys started? 2012. Oh, yeah. Back then you had... You know you know who was really dominant in 2012 was actually Progenics. Progenics um, were dominant. More of their apparel was being worn yeah. than even maybe their supplements. But then you had the Nanos. And Innovate. Uh, and Oh, Innovate, which shout out to Innovate for still being around after... Yeah. They were, you know, there was a small startup, or yeah. I don't know what their story fully was, but they they dominated. I mean, they they're still around. They're still coming out with great shoes. Yeah, they 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 they're still innovate a, a great little business, and they they've got great footwear. They just, um, I don't think they necessarily took the whole opportunity when they could have mm. in 2012. It was basically on a plate for them. Right? Oh yeah, um, they had those blue and the red, the blue uh, and red, yeah, whatever they were. Yeah. Okay, so you're sorry not to go off on a tangent, but you're you're in the CrossFit and you're recognizing that people are kind of almost like because at that point, and speaking for myself, when I first got into CrossFit, I was looking for a shoe that would accommodate what I needed, and at the time, there wasn't much out available until I ended up finding the Innovate because a lot of the other shoes had too much cushion built into them. And so I wasn't able to do much of the kind of like the lifts and, and whatnot. Yeah. And then obviously Reebok came out the Nanos, et cetera. Yeah. So I think, um, so I was, do, I was doing CrossFit about a year and I obviously no, noticing that every box you went to, people were in the same stuff. And it, and yep. it, But also not, not just the brand, it was a very specific look, right? E- even now, you know, if someone does functional fitness or CrossFit, you, you can recognize them in the street. But back then it was to the extreme. And then... Um, my the, the co-founder of Wit at the time, um, he was working in sports retail, and it became obvious when we were speaking that uh, Reebok were already in the game, but brands like Nike um, were taking notice uh, yep. of CrossFit. Um, and then there was these murmurs that they were releasing a shoe, which obviously eight years on is the, is the Metcon. Uh, and but when Nike take a category seriously you got to take a category seriously. And when I say category, you know, there's basketball, sportswear, soccer, golf, uh, all those things. And they were adding training as a category alongside those things. Yeah, they opened um, a whole new category. whole new category. Yeah, that, that, yep, yep. That's a once in a generation thing. It's like running like 30 years ago, you know, with, yeah. with Bowman and stuff like that. So it's, um, so we, so I thought, you know, that all these brands are focusing on, on, on this space, but, the consumer has doesn't know where to get the product like they, they we we thought it'd be perfect opportunity for a, a one-stop shop a, a conduit between the customer and the brands to, to distribute the product and also it was very obvious to me that because i'd seen it in, in other sports like running sometimes the big brands don't understand the customer that they really want to get to and that community aspect and what drives like the insatiable demand for product so and we did we we got it because we were i did crossfit right and i i i knew what the customer wanted where the customer was so we pitched the concept to to the brands um and we were just they loved it basically um you know we pitched we 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 got a lucky pitch with nike for example you and your co-founder me me and my co-founder um and this is right after you had sold the um this is about a year so uh, yeah a year year or two after so um just having been in the space for a while um you know it wasn't immediately something i wanted to do it's just the fact that i was in the space and i saw what was happening um yeah, and we and we we pitched this concept of bringing all the brands together in a physical space, and then and then uh, aligning it with online, 
major athletic brands alongside up and coming brands. They all bought into it. How did uh, you get the meeting with Nike? So that was random. So that was because my co-founder was in the industry. Um, one day he said, uh, he got a phone call from the Nike camp. I just saying the head of training for Europe is, is in London. Uh, and we were like, we've, we've got to get a meeting with this guy. Yeah. And they're like, he's got no time. And then we got this phone call saying he, you, he can meet you at Wagamama. Do you know Wagamama's is a, <laughs> it's a chain of restaurants? Yeah, yeah. Okay. Well, uh, uh, by the way, I, I have no idea what, what Wagamama's. Wagamama's is like a, it's a chain. It's like a Denny's or no? It's a, it's like a Asian, uh, like fast, not fast food. Fast food is a bit unfair on it, but yeah, it's it's this chain yeah, of restaurants. Yeah, sure. And they go, uh, we're just outside London at two o'clock. We'll be in this Wagamama's. And we, we sat down and he goes, you got 10 minutes to uh, pitch a concept. Ooh. And I just pitched the concept and he was like, you, this is exactly what we've been looking for. Um, because they want they wanted, like what Nike are so good at over the years, They there's all this noise about them dropping all their retail partners. But they also like working with authentic retail uh, partners yeah, 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 yeah. Who, who can reach, because they, 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 they know they can't reach the, you know, the, the pointy edge of the customer, but the, some retailers can. And we clearly offered them that authenticity to enter the space. Uh, even when they were launching the Metcon, this is a story I always, I always talk back about. So this is when we proved our, our kind of concept. We, we went in to buy our first range of Nike. And it was back then, it was a catalog. It wasn't digital. And I was flicking through the catalog saying, where's this shoe? There's a shoe you're launching called, called the Metcon. The account manager had no clue what I was talking about. And then, it, you know, in the fitness pages, there was this shoe that I, I knew, I thought that that is it, but it had a different name. Yeah. And I said, we need, we want to, we want to buy a thousand pairs of that shoe. And he was like, you can't buy a thousand pairs. You're a new, you're a new, re- you're a new retailer. You won't get the credit terms. Yeah. Like yeah, yeah. And I was like, I guarantee you we will sell a thousand pairs. He was like, no, you can have like 200 pairs. And we launched a Metcon just in our little store in London. And we had a queue like down the street. Well, really? We, we sold all. Oh, all I bet that was like a cool moment. Yeah. Right? And then I just said to him, "I told you, I wanted a thousand pairs." Uh, so, but at this point, you did have brick and mortar space. Then. Yeah, we had a brick and mortar. We we did uh, for, for the first twelve months. We did temporary um, temporary spaces. Um, yeah. So we had a, a one space for six months, and we moved to a different part of London to have another space. Uh, and again, it, it back then it drove it drove a lot of heat because people wanted to touch and feel the brands they hadn't accessed before. And, and and this was new, remember? There, there was only Reebok in the space. Right, 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 right. right. Um, so now there was suddenly Reebok, Nike, there was weightlifting shoes, there was, you know, you know all these accessories, and we, we had it all in one space. So when you were going, so I, the Nike story is super cool. You were able to create that opportunity, but when you were with your co-founder and you guys decided, so you want to go digital and brick and mortar at the same time. Now, did you guys start the gym at the same time as well? No. So the gym, um, the gym was always what we wanted to do from day one. Yeah. But we didn't have the money. Ah. Um, so the reason we we did the pop-up strategy was to generate awareness around the brand. And at the same time, anyone can launch a website, right? So, so you did a pop-up strategy. Now, when you're doing a pop-up strategy, I've seen that sometimes. Like around here in the US, we have what's called um, spirit stores. Yeah. And what that is, is like right, right before Halloween, they'll take over some empty yeah, yeah. location for a month or two. Is that kind of what you did? Like yeah. You took it over for a month or two? Or how yeah, does that work? It's a really big thing in Europe. They, 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 it's, there's loads of companies that facilitate this kind of thing. So you, we took a space over for a month or three months. Uh, and we'd be like, you know, we're here to launch these products for three months. Then we go oh. somewhere else. We go launch these products. It was a really cool thing to do. Um, but I, that proved the concept. 
Yeah, so that's a great we, idea. we basically we basically proved our concept really really quickly, uh, and w very quickly we had people interested in in the business and investing in it. So it allowed us to raise money really quite early on in, in the journey to open the gym facility because, as you know, you know it costs. Firstly, it costs a lot of money capex to, yep. to open the facility, and secondly, obviously that the first six to twelve months without the membership levels you're also you know you, you're eating finance so we, we raised money that was like a family and friends round it was um kind of so it was a crowdfunding round crowdfunding round so okay so just kind of pausing for a second this is like 2012 2013 so, so this was um we, so that's when i started crossfit so we didn't start wit until 20 uh end of 2014 2015 so so, so 2014 2015 yeah. you guys do the pop-up model which i thought yeah. was awesome now before we move on to the crowdfunding, because I definitely want to talk about that, this idea of wit, whatever it takes, who came up with that name? So I came up with a name. Ah, all right. Yeah, um, and actually it's not as, it's not, I didn't come across the name in the way you may think. Make the name sound super <laughs> badass. Like you were, you know, you're in the shower I, one day, you're I, like. <laughs> I wish it was that. And, and you'd think it was because I'm an ex-runner and I'm an athlete and I, I've started a business and everything's whatever it takes. But to be clear, uh, and honest and transparent. I, when I was younger, I did a, this summer job where I I knocked on doors and sold restaurant cards. I know it was a thing back here as well, and uh, and the business was called Wit Promotions, whatever it takes promotions. Oh. And I and I said, and I thought the name was wasted on them, by the way, because I thought this is not a cool business. It's a cool name. And I said to myself then, that when I come up with a business, when I come up with the business idea, I am going to call it whatever it takes. Uh, so when so when I thought of this concept, I thought that you know literally they they're perfect, right? Yeah, yeah for sure. So I, the first thing I did was look up whether that company still existed. It didn't, so I was like, that's it. So wit, uh, what was the second part of it? It was wit, and then they were selling um. So they were selling those little catalogs to get discounts. You know on, when people just knock on your door yeah, and say thirty dollars and you get six months. Yes, yeah. yes, yes. So yes. I used to do that. It was one of these pyramids, yeah. and it was originally called wit what. Wit promotions, promotions. Cool, yeah. Okay, that's that's funny, man. And they, and it was it was one of these things where it, it didn't align, but um, loads of people would have done this when they were younger. It's one of those pyramid schemes where you, you sell X number of cars and in the uh, of cards, and in the evening your team would get together. You'd ring the bell, that music would be blaring. And how old were you when you were selling these? Eighteen. So you were eighteen. So this was like a, a, you know, in the U.S. we'd call it like high school going into college, and. You know, you're going door to door. One of my early mentors used to go door to door selling perfume. And I just think back to like what that's like. You know, I have not done, I, I've done flyering and stuff like that for the yeah. gym, but I've never actually done like door to door sales where you actually try and close the deal. I've just dropped off like yeah. leads. What was that process like? Because I imagine at a young age, that was probably pretty like influential. Yeah, massively influential. I think, I think. Um, it, it's the most brutal form of sales. Oh, brutal! Out there, basically. And I think that if you if you go into a sales job, like whether it's as a graduate or you know out of school, it's it's the best grounding for any career, any career in any category in any sector. I think because you learn to be bulletproof, and you'll either survive or die, basically. And knocking on doors is to another level. So because you, you're like going to their home, it's kind of invasive. You, you go, and it was like crazy because they. They'd set you a target of I think <laughs> three, four hundred doors a day. No, and and but the target for the cards would be ten. So the conversion rate is is is, is minute. Right. So you'd have to you'd have three hundred ninety rejections, 
and tent. And so you, you'd, you'd have to be bulletproof. And uh, But it was what was interesting about it, it wasn't just you as an individual, because they created that team excitement every evening. Like, obviously the negativity would affect you, but by the evening, you're all in it together. Dude. So it's this thing that, like, the, the, these companies were a bit dodgy, right, in the past. And I, <laughs> and I know they still exist, but the, for, for us as individuals, I know a lot of people that have gone on to be very successful people because, you know, they, they, they've become bulletproof. Like, yeah. They can, they can basically take any sort of form of negativity, and it's just like, you know. We had something here called Cutco, which are like these knives, yeah. similar concept. But So that's interesting because they basically create like this um, – shared experience with you and your coworkers. Yeah. And then you guys would go out, go knock on doors. Yeah. You'd have like a list of doors you had yeah. to hit and then you would come back. So I imagine that was really well done by design because if like you, you crushed it, maybe someone else didn't when you all came back together, I imagine like they would feed off your energy and they would get inspired to maybe go do it the next day to be the same as you. Like if exactly, you, yeah. instead of just being out solo on your own the whole time. Yeah, exactly. Um, and, and, and you could earn a good living. Like if you sold the 10 car today, you could earn a good living. Uh, and so the, from this point of absolute negativity, you could, you, there'd, be, there'd be this energy and enjoyment that it, it was amazing what they did really. Um, it's definitely, it, it definitely, from a personal perspective, it made me bulletproof. And from a team and leadership perspective, it shows you how to build a cult. It definitely showed me how to build a culture to an extent. Um, yeah. And it relates back to CrossFit and training, right? So you've got the whiteboard with your scores and you, some gyms ring the bell when you get a PB. It's all, it's all kind of a similar thing. Wow. And so when you would go up and you knock on a door and now in the UK, I'm, the, those doors could be like apartments, whatever, right? Yeah. And boom. What percent do you think opened it? I think so. A high percent open it, and a high percent to slam the door straight. So, like, let's just say you're like, <laughs> "What was the pitch?" Like, "Hey, I'm Dan. I'm, I'm from whatever it takes productions. I got this thing, and it's just boom. Yeah, wouldn't even say anything. Yeah, yeah. I think, I think because, <laughs> uh, yeah, it was it was brutal. I mean, sometimes I got chased down the path. Like sometimes, oh. like the dog would be set on you. Um, but then sometimes people just want to chat. And how long did that go for? I did it for about a year. And did you, you had some people who just were lonely and wanted to talk to you? Yeah, they want to talk. <laughs> but, but ironically, like the product was quite good. Yeah. Like, if, you, if you're selling a restaurant card for your local restaurant and you use that local restaurant and you're about to get a discount 50% off for six months, it's actually, it's actually a good product. There's actually value So there. occasionally it was a win-win. Um, but yeah, you, you test different pitches. So, you know, they'd open the door, you'd, you'd either introduce yourself in name or they'd open the door and you say, do you eat at this restaurant? Or, you know, you tr try all different things. Ah, oh, man. Uh, you know, I remember I, when I was doing sales at the gym, one of my jobs was collections. And so I would have to call people and be like, hey, you know, um, John, you have past due. And so what I would tell them is my name was their name to kind of capture their attention. So like if it was John, I'd be like, hey, John, is John from Milpitas Health and Fitness. And so they would remember my name. Yeah. I would just try different that things. That's good. That is good. Now, it didn't work for, obviously, like female names. It didn't work as yeah. well. But the guy's name, it ended, up, it ended up working out. But all right, back to you. So... <laughs> You do this for a year, which is awesome. Um, and now you're crowdfunding WIT. So 14, 15, you prove the model by doing these pop-ups, which is awesome. How did the crowdfunding go? Was that, what was that process like? It, I, so at the time, I thought it was the hardest thing I'd ever done um, with regards to raising money. <laughs> but since then, it's, we've had other experiences. But um, I actually think it's a really good platform to raise money very quickly um, if you've got a community. So the, the key the key for us is that we, we it was very obvious that we'd built a very loyal um, customer base um, and we'd also created a lot of hype. So people wanted to be involved in the journey. 
So it was quite easy for us to raise the amount of money we needed to do. Uh, and also the value you give the customers back. So as well as... Yeah, how did you do that? And how much did you raise? Because, you know, a lot of people... So 99% of the people that, that fund you in crowdfunding aren't putting a huge amount of money down. It's more they want to be involved in the journey. So we'd, there'd be loads of rewards. So the kind of utilities that we can give at Wit is cool, right? So you get like product discounts, first first access to product launches, mm. athlete uh, access, all that stuff is really cool. Um, and then there's the, sh- the people who put significant amount of money around that they're not interested in the rewards. They're more interested in, in the equity and the growth of the business. So it's a mix. But we raised um, just over a million dollars back then. From crowdfunding? Um, from crowdfunding, yeah. And this is like 2016, 15? 2016, yeah. Wow, I mean, that's yeah. quite a bit of money. It's I mean, a, it's a bit of, it's a lot of money. So, but we had, we had two um, foundation investors who, who, who were going to invest anyway, that they put the money into the platform. Uh, because they did that on day two, we were like, we've already raised 500. Uh, so then everyone, and we, so we, we, we created community hype and now we'd suddenly said, oh, half it's gone. Yeah, and everyone yeah, was yeah. like, like yeah, you created like this away. demand and, and, yeah. and people didn't want to miss out, right? Yeah. Uh-huh. And also like, I think with the crowdfunding, like we, some companies, um, crowdfunding is not for everyone. And it also like the, the, the crowdfunders can get bitten down the line because businesses dilute further when, when you raise. But we genuinely care about our community, whether it's uh, our gym members or or, re- or retail customers or, or the crowd. And I think we show that from day one and we still show that. So whilst they might be diluted uh, in equity f- further down the line, you've got to you've got to really care about that shareholder. It's not a flash in the pan. At the end of the day, some of them are investing a significant amount of money. And even those who aren't, they're still showing they're faith still showing, in the journey. Yeah, they're still yeah. investing in your journey. Yeah. And so you're able to raise the money to open up your brick and mortar. And how did that, like what type of lessons learned I asked this the other day, I was talking to a gentleman who founded uh, the cold plunge, actually the one that I just oh, showed yeah, you. Yeah. And, you know, he went from brick and mortar to now having a, a, a product base, right? Where he created his own cold plunge, which I thought was really cool. But as you opened up, so you're, you're going from um, really a non brick and mortar mentality through your previous work experience into your first formal brick and mortar where you're actually like not a pop-up. Yeah. Was it what you expected or different? So the retail aspect was what I expected because I'd obviously we'd been doing retail, but we opened a gym as well. <laughs> a little uh, different than you expected. A little bit different, but we I didn't run the gym, so I didn't pretend to know how to run a gym, uh, and I was trying to operate this business which was growing rapidly as a global retailer. So I had no interest in running the gym either. So we had a, a lot of things are down to fate in 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 business and in life, and we we'd come across uh, a couple of guys who. I'd become very friendly with who were looking for their own facility in London but didn't necessarily have the capital behind them. Um, we offered them the opportunity. It just felt right to offer them the opportunity to to run the WIT business and give them a small small amount of equity in the business um, and give them a chance to, to do what they wanted to do. Um, and we, so so we, we got them in from day one. So we the, these two guys were, uh, were, were basically owner operators because they're still they're equity they're stakeholders in the business. And are they still there today? So one of them still there today, which I, I think is a result, by the way. You know, this is six, six years later. We're still on good terms with the other one. Things just, you know, people go in different directions. Uh, so Gustavo... Um, he he's quite he's people will know on on instagram he's quite well known on instagram in the sector but he's just a brilliant personality uh brilliant personality brilliant coach and cares about the community and it just uh, everything aligned at the same time so then we've got a specialist running the gym and we're specialists running the store you know it worked out perfectly so um i i never i know i knew that i wasn't the guy to run the gym at the same time 
So life moves on. You start growing, growing, growing. Team grows. Now, I want to talk about um, that growth and lessons learned. So I guess starting off with culture, you know, you're, you're 18, you're, you're learning about ringing the bell with these other guys. What type of things are you implementing in your organization? Because now today, here we are in 2022, you have about 35 full-time team members yeah. plus, you know, partners all over the world, right? So you've grown pretty dramatically. From a culture perspective, is there something that you guys do at WIT? You know, one of the things that you and I were talking about is you're still in charge of culture yeah. at the business. Is there anything that stands out to you that you guys do that you think has really kind of further enhanced your team dynamics? So don't th- to be honest, I don't think there's anything groundbreaking. Yeah. But I also think the key point here is, and I'm sure this is the same with a lot of people, maybe even yourself, like post-COVID and pre-COVID, it's very different challenges with regards to team. So pre-COVID, one, our business was smaller and younger. Smaller team, easier to manage, easier to create culture, easier to you know produce that energy. And fundamentally, we all loved working out yep <laughs> so uh, and, and our whole because our mission and vision is built around you know fitness and changing lives through fitness you know we we would change our own lives through fitness every single day and it, that energy in the team and with our you know membership community it was very easy to build this you know like-minded culture and at the same time as as partaking in, in all the same activities the business is, is growing rapidly so obviously it's exciting this is pre-covid pre-covid really yep. easy to do team of 10 uh, maybe 50 grew to 15 or 20 it's super easy. And when you get to the size we are now, you know, team of around 40, um, that's a challenging size. Like that is a challenging size because you, you've suddenly got people that aren't necessarily all like-minded. So you've got to bring individuals in who are specialists, special, specialists in their field. They might not be into the training or they might not want to, you know, come to endurance class. And they're located or, potentially at different they're, places. They're located right? different. Yep. But then the, the challenge that COVID brought, firstly, one is location. So suddenly everyone's dispersed and suddenly you know, suddenly you've got to offer them the chance to work from home twice a week. Like yeah. it's, it's, it, otherwise, they're going to move somewhere else. Right. So that immediately impacts your culture because, you, you, you know, you're not you're not in it together every day. Um, you know, you're not training together every day. Suddenly, you're training together once a week. Um, and secondly, the, the team size, yeah, different personalities, different skill sets. Not, not everyone is going to be into CrossFit or training. That's a given. That's a challenge in itself. So... Um, but what we, what you can do, you can still, the, the ethos is still the same. Like our mission is still to change as many lives as possible through training. Right. And everyone who joins the business you know, is working towards that same goal. So we still encourage where we can the group training, the, the, the breakfast once together, all together once a week. We do town halls, you know, all the traditional stuff. And I think it's important important to implement them rigidly. But I'm, I'm not going to lie and say it's as good now as it was pre-COVID, I think most businesses will say that it's more challenging now than ever to create that culture. Yeah. And, and, and speaking of COVID, you know, your business, just like ours, has been dramatically impacted. Um, in particular, it sounded like your inventory challenges are there. And so you, you went through fundraising. Um, I want to talk more about, because we talked about the um, kind of micro investors, for lack of a better term, right? The yeah. crowdfunding. But then you can start bringing on institutional, like big money. And I think you said something earlier that I found to be interesting is that a lot of founders are going to have to go through that fundraising process to scale and grow because they might not have the capital to do so. Yeah. And so perhaps you could share with us a little bit more about lessons learned from a crowdfunding. I think you've touched base on it, really kind of holding those guys and making sure you're doing right by them. But how about from an institutional perspective, as you grow, 
what complications come up that maybe we're unaware of? Because I haven't gone through that personally. I mean, the process itself is, is more difficult. Um, you, like I said, when you do crowdfunding, you think it's the hardest thing you've ever done. <laughs> and it's hard because the workload is huge because you've got, you, you need to speak to 10 people a day about, you know, on the phone about, you know, the business plan and your journey, whether they're investing $10 or $1,000. So from that perspective, crowdfunding is easy. Sorry, hard. But where it's quite straightforward is the due diligence on the business is not as stringent. Because um, the investment amount is probably less or... The investment amount less. They're not institutional investors. You, you just don't need to provide like as granular uh, information as, as, you, as you do elsewhere. Whereas with VCs, the due diligence is intense and significant. Um, and that doesn't mean that, you know, obviously with us, we raise the money. It doesn't mean you're hiding anything in the cupboard. There's right. no skeleton in the cupboard. It's just intense. Like, yeah, it's, it's just, just like you and it your CFO. It takes up a lot of your bandwidth. Yeah, you and your CFO, as a CEO and CFO, you're going to be like that your bandwidth. Is high. For six months, you are only raising money. So the, that, the main challenge is that then your eyes are off the business. So, you, you know, you need a team in place to cope with that and most businesses probably don't have that team in place you know they're, they're probably businesses like us 10 15 people you might have a cfo but then the rest of the team are quite junior so um from a personal perspective like as a leader that's definitely the biggest challenge of vc at least first round vc investment and then it's just different with a vc you obviously it's it's highly likely you'll bring one of them onto the board um it's highly likely they'll take a fairly significant a part of the company not majority but fairly significant shareholding so that suddenly this other voice uh, you know is in the business and that's largely positive you know because they've got years of experience whether it's in the sector or operationally financially so loads of positives but it's also some challenges yes yeah, a new person in the mix it's, it's a new person and you've got they've bought into you and your vision for the brand but then they may be in a board meeting and they're suddenly you know, they're, they're saying stuff that you don't necessarily think is the right direction. And then it's about, it's, about, it's eloquently and like professionally managing that situation. Um, and it can be challenging and, and there'll be different difference of opinion. Um, you know, you, ultimately you can come out of that well sometimes and badly others. So it, you've got to really grow up and realize that that person has invested a significant amount of money in your business. So they've got every right to give their opinion. Their opinion could be very very good uh, so you've got it you've got to open your mind to the fact that they're adding value and not that this is your this is a vision this is the only way to go like uh, we, we had to learn to be much more open-minded you know you said something that like kind of resonates with me that if you do go vc route there's all this due diligence and the ceo and the in the the key team really have to be focused on getting that information over right yeah and so you can kind of take your eye off the prize of the business itself. Yeah. So when do you break, how do you balance what the business needs, which is maybe let's just say it needs to grow. So it needs some funding, let's just say, but then at the same time, the business needs your time and attention to grow as well. How do you know when it's the right time to take on funding? If you also know that you're going to be driven away from your yeah. core, does that make sense? Yeah, it's a good point. I think, so the reason we funded the first round with the VC firm that we did is not because we needed the money, but because we wanted to supercharge the business. Mm. Because we, we were growing quickly, but we thought this is our chance to dominate this sector. The only way we're going to do that is by raising money. We could have, we could have, you know, we could have plodded along, grown 20% each year, like positive cash flow or all, all that. Um, we decided to supercharge the business. Um, that won't be for everyone. Um, and perhaps we should have, you know, been more cautious at the time, but we decided that we wanted to be, 
globally recognized business and we need the money to do so and that was the that was the that was the way to do it that was why we did it yeah that yeah. was why we did it um would i be more cautious now maybe but in hindsight that's probably only because of the challenging years of covid i i think like if we hadn't been through the challenges we have in the last couple of years which are not all negative there's a lot of positive ones that um with the business you know really would have rocketed and our business grows fast by the way we we grow like 70 to 100 percent year on year so i'm not saying it's like negative growth but like potentially would we have held out more maybe but um we just made the decision we want to grow big as quickly that, as possible and so speaking of covid and the challenges you know when i look at our business i think that overall covid was good for our business in in you know, in, in, yes, our revenue dropped. Yes, we had tremendous challenges, but overall it taught us more about like, what are we really trying to accomplish? What are, what are, what are we really trying to do? And do we want to continue to do it yeah. as the owner? I said to myself that, and I think it was hell yeah, yeah. ready to rock. And then also it made us streamline and really improve our efficiency. So what was it, what did it do for wit? Because I, I, I know you had just, so you had just taken on funding, COVID happens overall. What was the lessons learned through that process? So I think it definitely teaches you, it taught us the f- the fastest way to grow the business would be to go all in online. So, all in so, online. So pri- prior to COVID, yeah, um, we we were raising money to open a, a site in the US, like a, a physical site, uh, and grow online. But, you know, there's a lot of capital that goes into that site. And then during COVID, our, in year one, our business grew 75%. And in year two, Last year it grew like forty five percent. So you're talking rapid gr- online growth, yeah. Because all all our resources and all the money's gone all in on, on online. So that was a really positive lesson for us because whilst we haven't abandoned that physical model, by the way, you know that's something I still want to do in the future. We we know that the avenue to grow the business quickly is to invest in X Y Z digitally, whether that's people, or process, or you know performance uh, wise or online. We know where to invest to grow the business quickly. So from that perspective. I you, I can't argue that COVID was a positive thing. And then on the flip side, right? You're now having to learn to overcome what the inventory issues. Is that really the biggest problem that that yeah. retailers are seeing? Would you say? Yeah. So for us, the challenge didn't come when there was a lockdown. It came. It's coming now or, oh. or like in the last six months because uh, I don't know what you know, I do know what it's like in the US. But like in the UK, and the reason I'm using this example is if you if you go online now and you try and shop even running shoes or or or, or, or sportswear shoes the the supply is just not there um and um we're finding the reason that is is because all the factories of the brands closed in 2021 uh, and there's this lag there's this that lag, there's this lag. Um, and then it's compounded by the container the, the build up of container ships outside ports means that product releases are delayed and whereas before prior to covid we would do really exclusive colorway launches with Nike, which we still do. But it would all it would always be rigidly um, the release date would be rigidly on the same date globally. So we could build up like all this like marketing campaign, create all this hype, and the shoe would just go bang at the same place globally. Whereas now it's a different date in Europe to the UK to the US. So it's super challenging for because of inventory. Yeah, because of inventory. It's like it will arrive in the UK quicker than it will the US. Um, so as a as a retailer, like you've got, we've had to really learn how to deal with that. And you know, you set budgets around product arriving X date, and if it arrives at the date Y six weeks later, it impacts like you know forecast for a year. So it's particularly challenging. But again, on the on the flip side, 
the positive is, you know, your team becomes much more adaptable. And also, we've got our own apparel brand now. Um, so whilst we can't can't and don't want to fill the footwear gap, you know, we've got a pretty good range of apparel, not all singing or dancing yet, but, you know, it fills the gap and it's allowed to, that to grow quicker than we thought. And so, you know, for the for those of us that are not in the space that you're in, and we're just looking at like, okay, COVID's kind of, you know, turned a corner. Uh, we're ready to get back to real life. I'm looking at it. I'm thinking, okay, well, yeah, but there's also some like, there's going to be some tail that's going to be, yeah. and, and inventory sounds like one of them. So what, sh- what is something that people should be expecting? Is this going to happen, you think, for the next six months? Or how long is it going to take to catch up, you think? I think it'll be through to, yeah, um, maybe fall this year or maybe maybe later maybe maybe october september october there'll be supply issues so we will see the product but it'll just be intermittent and it, not as accessible as it was before uh, but i think going into 2023 things should be should, should be normal again now when you took on funding i don't know how that part was with the vcs but i want to talk about two things one was um your co-founder you and your co-founder decided to part ways yeah what was that process like going into business with a with a partner and and as you parted ways from each other, you know, I imagine is your relationship, you guys are on good terms now? Yeah, we're on good terms, yeah. Any kind of takeaways from that? Like, like from the partnership perspective, was it, you know, would you have done things differently? Or, hey, it worked out really well. It just, hey, one of us wanted to go off and do our own thing. I mean, how, how, uh, I think, so I think we, it was super important that we did what we did. And we brought very good, different strengths to, to the growth of the, of the business. Um, and again, it's it's not a bad thing that we've parted ways. Like we parted on really good terms. Um, you know, he just didn't necessarily like, um, or you know, didn't feel that comfortable. You know, um, in the business, in the position he was in then. Um, and I had been elevated to CEO of the business, so it wasn't necessarily the like you know the like the you know the equal. You weren't like kind of oh, equal, okay. equal footing as before. Um, and we just, we just, you know, he, he wasn't necessarily that happy. He had an opportunity elsewhere, and it's fine. We're, we're we're good friends. Like we still work together in the sector, and so I wouldn't go back on that journey. Um, I I I don't think I definitely couldn't have done it without him. And also, it was really enjoyable going on that journey with a friend. Um, w- would I do it again? You know, if and when I start my ne- next business, I would probably do it on my own. Um, you would do it on your own, probably, but I, I don't. That's not because my relationship with him bad. Right. It's good. It's just because I think I know myself now, uh, and I, I know what I'm not good at and what I am good at. And if I'm not good at something, I can hire someone to do that. I don't necessarily need to go on the journey with them. Um, but again, it, that's just a learning, right? It just shows another learning. Well, I mean, and, and to your point and your credit, you now have a new CEO at Wit. Yeah. And you helped identify that CEO, so that was a really good. So, how do you put your ego aside as a founder, as an entrepreneur? And say, hey man, we're we're in this for the best interests of wit. And yeah. you know, when you're look at these shareholders who have different ideas, instead of taking them personally, realizing that you're on a shared vision. And how do you set your ego aside that you're good at everything and identify other key leaders that could pick up where you maybe don't have those strengths? Like is that yeah. just like a deep reflection you do, or what is that? It's a bit yeah, it's a bit of reflection, a bit of input from others. So I think um so I I was tired for a start. So, you know, I, I, I'd been, I'd led the business. I had a co-founder, yes, but I, I had led the business for, for the six years like as CEO or, you know, 
uh, first three years, no job titles, but I sat at the top and, you know, led the culture and then our CEO, uh, you know, it's tiring. Um, and I think it was important that I connect with the community again. Um, so, you, for example, going out, meeting people like yourself, um, spending more time with our key brand partners like Nike, Noble, uh, identifying new opportunities, which which I'm the best at in the business, you know, new brand opportunities and all new partnership opportunities. No one was doing that. Um, and my time was being taken up by fundraising and uh, finance meetings and ops meetings. Um, and I just thought it was time for someone else to do that. Um, so it's an element of I wanted my, the enjoyment back uh, and an element of like how it could be beneficial for the business. And he's be he's a he's an expert and he's an ex CFO, so brilliant at finance. So now you know that that side that that I wasn't necessarily that interested in is taken up. And at the same time, I've got all this time and energy to do what is valuable to the business: bring new brands on or put on big activations with Nike, meet people by, like yourself, um, connect with the community, and it's it's enjoyable. Uh, and, and potentially, as a CEO, you do lose your enjoyment sometimes because it's so intense. And so coming out of COVID and, and, you know, in the UK, basically your prime minister, we were talking about earlier, just basically said, Hey, we're basically no longer talking about this anymore. Right. And so now life seems getting back to normal events seem to be coming back on track. Have you guys been hosting regular events back at your in, wit in, location? In yeah, we get, we're getting there. It's like, it's slowly getting up and running. Um, so we're doing some really cool events later in the year with Nike. We, 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 we go to events. So CrossFit wise, we're going to some of the semifinals. We're doing some European events, other fitness events. Um, and we're in the US, we're doing a, an affiliate tour in Texas. Uh, my, my team, four of my team from the UK are spending two months in Texas. We're going to go to Madison, CrossFit Games. We're going Atlantic Coast Classic in Florida. So we're starting to activate like before, which is nice. Oh, man, that's exciting. And so when you go out to the CrossFit Games, is there anything in particular like, so now you have signed athletes through WIT. Yeah. And... Are any are, well? They need to qualify. The semifinals are coming up. What next week? Yeah, we start. They start next week, don't they? I don't know. Next week, pretty soon. Start next week? Yeah, they start next week for for the next month. Now, when you guys are looking for athletes to bring on your roster, anything in particular stand out to you that embodies like the wit culture, the whatever it takes? I mean, are you? Are you what are you looking for with your athletes? Because you only have a select few that I'm aware yeah. of, right? Yeah. So Sarah Sigma's daughter is obviously our like the I I'd say like our iconic. Like is she athlete. feeling good right now? By the yeah, way, yeah, she she's feeling good. Like, quite, I'm quietly confident. Um, I'm just excited to see Sarah compete because it, it's really hard seeing someone suffer like that. Yeah. Um, I'm sure you've been injured in the past, but you know she was really seriously injured, and then she'd had a setback as well. And when you're an elite athlete, you're out for 18 months. is is demoralising. Um, so yes, yeah, selfishly for a brand from a brand perspective, like Sarah has the X factor. She's going to sell product because she's got the X factor, and also she's an unbelievable person and she connects with the community so well so selfishly from a brand perspective we want her competing because content and you know uh, pr is great but also on a personal level i'm friends with her and i just want to see her compete uh, again and then we work with a number of young athletes so we've we've taken the decision to uh, look at younger athletes like emma lawson the canadian james sprague the young american uh, sophie shaft a young young Amer american a couple of in in in, in the uk and, and ireland as well uh, and we've taken that decision because we think they're the future of the sport um and the athletes are important to us because they embody yeah the whatever it takes mentality yeah it, people think it's strange because we're a retailer we have got our own brand but we're a retailer right so those athletes really can they can wear a variety wear of brands yeah yeah, yeah. Uh, obviously we're, we're a bit restricted but anything we stop they can wear right um so our brand partners like that as well um but we 
we the consumer likes it. Like there's nothing better than having Sarah. When we when, when Sarah came to the games last year, wasn't competing, and she she was on the standing and meet and greet. There was fifteen hundred people queuing to meet her. Like that's amazing for the customer, but also amazing for wit. For wit, yeah. Um, and that's the kind of impact we want athletes to have, really. And so, as next steps for the future, you know, wit. You guys have gone through fundraising, learned a lot through that process. And now, are you going to be pursuing additional brick and mortar? Is your growth plans in the U.S.? I mean, what are next steps for you guys? Because you seem like you've at least really dominated in the U.K. Yeah. Being here in California, you know, where's the opportunity for WIT in the future? So we're we're taking a real stab at the U.S. this year. Uh, Obviously, we're slightly impinged by these supply chain issues, which is really frustrating. But we still, I I don't want that to stop us. I I want people to become aware of, with the brand and that's not just the out and out crossfitter you know when we go to the games and, and what a pleaser people know who we are but like i came around your gyms with you in november and we went to <laughs> all four of your main gyms and we, and jason stood at the front of the class and said has anyone heard of wit and in three of the gyms no one had heard of wit but one of them they had but they were the out and out kind of og fitness you know community uh and that's got to change uh, and that was exciting for me, but it's got to change because like, in the UK and Europe, you'd go into gym, everyone know who Wit is. So that's an opportunity for us and um, we're going to give it a real stab. We're, start, we're starting with this real affiliate tour in Texas. Um, I'd quite like to do a, a pop-up in, in, in Austin in Texas. Oh, yeah. In, um, in the second half of this year. We're working with a few of our brand partners to, to try and put that on. I'd love that to be a gym and retail pop-up yeah. um, to test the concept we've got in London. Uh, the gym aspect would obviously not be membership. It would be. It would just be. We do product launches, athlete appearances, events, uh, and it would just. I think it would give us a chance to prove the concept. Um, and then if it if it did work, we would like to do more bricks and mortar. Yeah. Um, so that that's the plan. Ah, I love the plan, dude. It's been fun to get to know you over the years, and like I love seeing the success that Wits having. And your background selling door to door, man, is awesome. And the <laughs> and the cleaning business. I have to ask before we kind of close this out. Anything stand out in terms of like a door to door, like anything, like a, like a, you had to have had a ton of stories. Like, did anybody, you actually got chased before? Yeah, door to door. And you, you can't imagine what would happen. And it's interesting now because I live in London, in central London. And I, I often like, I'm on the bus and I'll look, I'll look at this estate and I'll think, I remember that. I remember being in there knocking on doors and you, you know, something that's left your mind it's yeah. always that deja vu. And it's crazy the places we used to go and knock on doors. Um, but like, honestly, the, those two businesses, um, I had a really lucky upbringing. Like, I was never short of anything and, you know, very privileged. And But, but I think perhaps that did affect my initial work ethic you know, at mm. school and uni. But those two jobs... Because did you, know, you go to boarding school growing yeah, up? I did, yeah. Because that's pretty common in the UK compared to United States. I mean, it's quite it's quite common, but there's a, there's a bit of a like stigma attached to it. Um, but so you've got to kind of there's one or two routes you can go down. You can go down like you know, you know who do you know route, or what I've done, and like you you, you kind of make your own path. And I think um, I um, I I work harder than anyone in the room. Basically, that's what I try to do. Um, and I think sometimes these days, like working hard, suddenly now, 
you know it, people are almost ashamed of it they're like you know you can overwork and, and I, I get all the mental health thing and that's super important but you know I've always been proud of trying to work harder than anyone else in the room I think those two jobs kind of taught me to, to work any harder than anyone else in the room yeah I mean just you know leaning into that a little bit more it's like when you come from a the background you did with the boarding school I imagine it was a lot more proper a lot more specific and then you kind of get out and like dude you got it you got a grimy job yeah. I mean both of those are that's yeah, like yeah. there's nothing sexy about <laughs> Selling door to door and cleaning toilets, yeah. right? But um, I, I imagine that blend is kind of what's created you today, right? Where you have this kind of proper education blended with real world grit is, is a good way to put it, yeah? Yeah, it, it, it is. I, I just took a different path. And um, yeah, I wouldn't change the, 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 those jobs for the world. Like, I've, I've still got friends in, from, from those things, which is crazy. But um, I'm definitely going to take my kids, I'm going to put my kids in like something like. Like that, you door know? Door. Yeah. I mean, think about the rela- think about the way you learn how to talk to people. Yeah. And the way that you deal with overcoming adversity and objections, you know? Yeah, and, that, and that's a really key point because, like, w- one day you would you would go to, um, you know, six bed houses, swimming pool in the backyard, and literally the next day you'd be in like a, an estate with like um, you know high rise, and you have to, those people you speak to those people differently completely uh, differently so like the way of communicating like on the spot with different people is is super important yeah it's like investors like like you know we they, there's people who have you know taken my route and they've they've come from nothing to earning to having millions in the bank and then there's institutional investors who you know where they're either vcs or family money they've always had money and so you speak to those two people really differently right uh and, and it's kind of you know trying to find that level with people yeah, and and those experiences help you do that, right? Because I think you so. gotta kind of earn your stripes in that sense. I, I think so. Yeah, I think wow. so. I love it, man. Well, I'm excited for the future of Wit. Uh, for anyone who wants to kind of check out what you guys have going on, where's the best website to go? Best place to go look at? What's the best way to engage with Wit? So yeah, if you're US based, which obviously most of you will be, it's uh, witfitness.com, and you should be directed to the US site. Um, so that's a, a really good place to start. We're, if you're in California, we're doing some cool stuff with, with NC Fit, with the coaches and uh, uh, and the apparel and the footwear. Uh, and we're going to all these events, so CrossFit Games, Atlantic Coast Classic. And if you're in Texas, you know we we are in we're based in Texas. That's where we're based in the US, in Houston. Um, we're doing cool stuff with affiliates there. We want to come to your affiliate. Um, we're working with partners such as Podium Nutrition, CBMD. Uh, Whoop, uh, Sky Hill. We're doing really cool things in affiliates, and if 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 your affiliate wants us to go there, we'll we'll come and do stuff. And so, what's the best way if someone belongs to a gym or is a gym owner? W- how should they reach out if they want to? Best way, um, t- two ways really via Instagram, or uh, she's going to hate this now, but I'm going to give you someone's direct email. So uh, if you, Hannah is leading our US tour, so if you want to email Hannah at witfitness.com. H A N N A H at witfitness.com. Yeah, that's it. Yeah. Okay. Uh, she, or- she's our head of community, and she she's going to be in the in the US for for two months and then Gustavo our head coach from the yeah. UK he's coming on the tour with us now his role's in the business changed now he's like our hype man Oh, so he's leading all our uh, wit takeovers and throwdowns and things like that so if a gym owner wants to have you come out put on a party so we're basically going and putting on parties so, oh, man. Uh, and we're giving we're giving products away we're, we're onboarding people onto our gym program where you know their members might get a little bit discount um, and if you're lucky we'll even get you know the likes of Sarah James, like Emma, uh, some events they they will come to as well. So we're starting with Texas over the next two months, and then and then we'll go from there. I love it, man. Well, congratulations. I love hearing about the Wit story, and uh, looking forward to seeing the growth. Good to see you, and thank thanks for having me.